0: Welcome to a place where we combine equal parts science, technology, design, and entrepreneurship. Then we gradually stir in magic to the mixture, and you have the Perception Podcast.
1: Join us in conversations with design heroes, inspirational thinkers, business leaders, and trailblazers across the globe. Our special guest today is Dr. Richard Weissman. Richard has a PhD in psychology, and he's a professor in the UK. In fact, he holds Britain's only professorship in the public understanding of psychology. He's also a best-selling author of some of our favorite books, Quirkology, Paranormality, The Luck Factor, 59 Seconds, How to Remember Everything, and the forthcoming Shoot for the Moon, based on the people involved with the Apollo moon landing. He has two massive YouTube channels. His main one is called Quirkology,
0: with over 2 million subscribers, and the other is In 59 Seconds, with over half a million subscribers. Richard actually began his career as a magician and is still very well known and active in the magic community. That's how I first discovered his work many years ago. As a psychologist, he has spent much of his career exploring the many connections between magic and psychology, the psychology of deception, and the study of human perception. I couldn't imagine a more perfect guest for our podcast. Welcome, Richard. Thank you so much for taking the time today to do this. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. So, I know quite a bit about you, but why don't we start off with your formative years? When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I thought very much about it. I mean, I was was heavily into magic uh, since a very young age. So, my grandfather showed me a magic trick when I was... I guess about eight or something like that, and a very good magic trick. A coin disappeared and uh, appeared inside several boxes that he had on a table next to him. And he sent me to the library to find out how that was done. I eventually did and got hooked on magic. So I guess part of me was interested in in being a magician. And then I actually sort of did magic, actually, in my, my sort of teenage years professionally. And decided I didn't want to be a magician because uh, it involves quite a lot of hard work and, and traipsing around. So I started to look at other options and found psychology. And of course, there's a lot of overlap between psychology and, and magic. So I guess prob- uh, probably those sort of early days, I, I would think I was roughly thinking I'd be what I am today, which is, you know, a psychologist, come magician, come academic, come writer, come anything else that kind of I find interesting.
0: Was there anything in particular that led you to psychology?
2: Well, I mean, it probably was magic. I mean, at uh, two levels. Uh, one, obviously, in terms of a method, you know, how magicians do their tricks. You have to understand about attention and, and psychology and mm-hmm. memory and so perception. on. But perception. But it probably wasn't so much that. I, I wrote, uh, sorry, I didn't writing it at all. I read a book uh, called Showmanship for Magicians. And that spoke about another book, which was Dale Carnegie's uh, How to Win Friends and Influence mm-hmm. People. And he said, if you're going to be a good performer, uh, you need to be likable. And this book is about how to be likable. So I went and read that book and it's a phenomenal book. I'm such a huge fan of Carnegie. It's it's still one of the greatest self-development books in the world. And and I think some of the ideas in there probably led me more to psychology than, than looking at the, the perception work. And so I, I, I kind of come full circle because I've you know written some self-development books myself. But I would imagine it was probably Carnegie more than anything else that set me on that path.
1: So can you talk a a little bit about psychology's role in magic and illusions?
2: Yeah, I I guess it it has sort of deep roots. I mean, at at one level, as I say, it's concerned with method, uh, which is what the the word the magicians use for the the secret bit, uh, as it were. And that can involve uh, misdirection of attention, that the magician will look, you, look at, make you look at a certain place when you need to look somewhere else if you want to solve the trick. Uh, it can involve misperception, so magicians are very good at looking like they're doing one thing, such as shuffling a deck of cards when in fact the, the deck isn't changing order. It can involve manipulation of memory, uh, because the, the problem with magic is that you know, you don't have to be just fooled there and then. But when you think back, when you talk about it with your friends, you've still got to be fooled. And and sometimes they're playing with your memory. They're they're making you believe that certain events happen when they didn't.
0: Right. So when um, you're telling the story, it's not exactly how it happened. But in your mind, you've kind of left out the uh, the method, if it possibly. Yeah, I mean the, the
2: method i mean you've got two narratives going on in in magic you you have the effect the bit that's amazing you know person comes up on stage and is levitated or whatever it is the second narrative uh, which is how it's done the method bit you need to hide from the audience and the way that's normally done is that you hide the method narrative in the least interesting parts of the effect narrative and so something happens on stage it appears to be trivial but actually it's crucial and what do we do with trivial events afterwards we forget all about them and and so literally magicians make big parts of what you've just seen vanish from your mind so Mm -hmm. it is deeply psychological in terms of method in terms of presentation, in terms of how you stand on stage and fool somebody and, and still make them like you at the end of that performance, uh, that's a different psychology. That's, that's much more social psychology rather than, than perception. Um, so, so those, those two different sorts of psychologies, I think, involved in magic.
0: Who are some of your early mentors?
2: Uh, well, in terms of influences, uh, Carnegie was, was absolutely huge in terms of magic. I mean, I was brought up in um, a place just north of London. There's a guy called Rex Cooper, who uh, was my kind of mentor as a, as a magician, as a fantastic magician, really took me under his wing. Um, in terms of heroes, uh, someone like Joseph Jastrow, who's one of the founding fathers of experimental psychology and also did a lot of work with Houdini and a lot of work on, on magic. Um, Binet is another founding father did a lot of work on uh, magic as well so uh, yeah there's, there's a lot of people out there that have influenced my thinking and, and most of them you know come from that magic psychology crossover
1: So what's what's your favorite book that you've written? <laughs> you know they're all different they're,
2: they, they are all different so The Luck Factor uh, which was about how to get Lucky, as it as it were, um, was the first one, and that came about because I had written a a pitch for a book on psychology of the paranormal. I'd I'd done quite a lot of research into the paranormal, Mm -hmm. written this book pitch, thought it would sell, sent it out to many a publisher, no one was interested, and I was sort of thinking that that was it, that was the end of my (laughs) publishing career before it started. And then I happened to mention to my literary agent, I've just been doing this work on psychology of luck and why people are lucky and unlucky. And he said, well, can you make people luckier and unluckier? Or the luckier, actually, rather than being unlucky, and I said, "Yeah, that's that's what we do. We, we we were interested in intervention and change, and so we pitched this book called The Luck Factor, and it got picked up and and uh, bought in about 25 different countries, and was a huge thing. And, and so that sort of broke me into writing. So I love The Luck Factor for that that reason, and and people still talk about it, and I still go go out and give talks about it.
0: It's one of my uh, favorite books. Do you, so I have a question for you based on that. Do you believe in luck?
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, I'd, I've worked with you know exceptionally lucky individuals and organizations, and I, I think it's a very real phenomenon. I I don't think there's anything magical or paranormal to it. I think we're creating our own good and bad luck by the way we think and behave. But still, it's a very real thing that hadn't been really unpacked prior to to that book.
0: Did you so see makes- uh, Did you see Deadpool too by any chance? There's a no, There's a character heard. in it whose superpower is luck, and they oh, make that's and they make a joke like that's not a superpower. But yet she uh, she comes out ahead in every battle, in every scene. Yeah, um, so I mean, that, that's what luck is. It's you pretty know, entertaining. You
2: to fall on your feet and, and find opportunities everywhere and, and so on. So that, that book was very special uh, to me. And then I had a break from writing for a few years. And then Freakonomics was a massive book. And somebody said to me, oh, you should do one on psychology. And I said, well, my psychology tends to be quite quirky. So we'd call it Quirkology. And it sold. That that, that book again sold all, all over the world and became the name of the, the YouTube channel. So uh, that was fun. And then following on the, the sort of um, heels of that was 59 Seconds, Things You Can Learn in Less Than a Minute to Change Your Life. And again, you know, that was a, that was a huge breakthrough book at a time when people weren't doing that kind of quick change, uh, uh, as it were. So, you know, they're, they're all, each of them, you know, they, they, they all... Sp- take about six months to write and you know I'm fond of all of them for different reasons so I I guess I don't really have a a favorite I I just like each one for different reasons. Mm
0: -hmm. So what's your writing process like you you know it takes you six months but can you get into a little bit of the process?
2: Yeah you have an idea that's always a good good start (laughs) Um, yeah you have an idea and those ideas can strike you at at any time for me i don't try very hard i just kind of let it happen um often they come to me in a dream actually i'll wake up and go oh wow i was dreaming about this book and i think this might work so you have that that idea and then you spend mm, probably two months developing the idea seeing if someone else has done it has there is there enough legs there to get sort of eighty thousand words out of it will people be interested and what I tend to do is mention the idea to, to friends and family. And if they kind of look slightly confused, then I probably haven't got a very good book idea. If it starts a conversation, then I probably have. And then from that, we'll go to a pitch document, which is probably about five, 10,000 words long and we'll send it out and see if anyone wants to buy it. And if they do, then we start that process, which, you know, is six months of your life sitting mm-hmm. normally in the front of a computer, uh, gently panicking. And everyone goes through the, the same process, which is that, you know, the first two months they're convinced that this is the best thing ever, next two months they wish they hadn't started the whole process, and the last two months, you're very glad you've seen the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and Pop, there is a book, you stick it out there, you publicize it, and you see what happens.
1: So can you talk a little bit about your, uh, your next book, Shoot for the Moon?
2: I can. It's it's coming out in February. So that's a very good example of that, that process. You know, I was at a party, I was talking to a friend who's into moon stuff, and particularly Apollo stuff. And they said next year, 2019, um, was the uh, 50th anniversary of Armstrong and uh, Buzz Aldrin on the moon. And they said, obviously there's a huge amount written about the technology. And I said, has anyone written about the mindset of uh, that put us onto the moon? And they said, no. And they said, well, you should talk to my other friend because he's very friendly with all the mission controllers, you know, the, the, the people that are actually at the heart of the Apollo missions. And so I spoke to him, and he said, no, no one's ever asked them, as far as I know, about, you know, the, the mindset that they were that they developed over those uh, seven or eight years. And so I got to interview them. I got hmm. to interview the people that put a man on the moon. Wow. And no one had asked them about how they did what they did at a psychological level level and you know it's phenomenal they, they were such a young bunch of people the average age in mission control was 26 when neil armstrong walked on the moon mm-hmm. and, the, and the reason for that is uh, very early on a lot of the more senior uh, engineers and scientists you know were very skeptical about this right. happening and and so nasa did a very very sensible and very brave thing which they said go and get me a bunch of kids who are so young they don't know it can't be done Mm-hmm. And so they have optimism, they have passion, and that's exactly what they assembled. And those bunch of very young kids are responsible for humanity's greatest achievement. So the, the book is about how they did what they did, but also how could, you can use those tools and ideas and lessons uh, mm-hmm. to achieve amazing things in your own life.
0: Well, that sounds great. I can't wait to read it. Um, you know the, the, the film that just came out, First Man, about Neil Armstrong? Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah, I've yet to see it. but I'm hearing very good things Yeah, about I haven't it. seen it
0: either. I've heard, I've heard excellent things about it. A lot of your work provokes people to think about the conclusions of your demonstrations rather than you actually spoon-feeding them the answers. Why do you find that approach more effective in your teaching?
2: I guess, it, again, it comes from a magic perspective. Curiosity, uh, you know, you show somebody a magic trick, they're very, very curious about how mm-hmm. that is is achieved that the reason why magicians don't tell you how the trick is done is because it loses that sense of wonder and awe and curiosity in one second you know it's like putting a pin to a balloon suddenly it's the least interesting thing anyone's ever seen once you know about the trapdoor or whatever it is and so i guess in my own writings it's it's trying to engage people in unusual ways so there's you know the books are full of exercises or the the videos have you know, moments where you guys I just don't understand how that, that could be the case. And the same with my talks. My, my talks are very, very interactive because, you know, I like to get people doing stuff rather than just sitting there reading stuff. Doing is almost more interesting than, than reading. So, yeah, I guess it, it comes from having a, a performance
1: background. Mm-hmm. So what do you attribute the success of your YouTube channel to? Did, did you ever think it would uh, get as much as attention as it has? You know, tell, no. us how, tell us how you started it, and 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 um, and do you have a favorite? Because we have a couple of favorites here, but I'll, <laughs> I'll mention those after you you tell us yours. Sure. Um,
2: no, not so. So we started, I think, two thousand and seven. I, I now I'm trying to think when YouTube came into existence. I think it's two thousand and five, but not quite certain. And uh, or did it, did it, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that's right, we just um, had our um, ten year um, celebrations here. Um, so uh we just I had an idea for a YouTube video it was very new YouTube was very new back then and one day in the lab I said to everyone let's just get together and film this thing for a, this platform called YouTube and nobody really knew what it was and we filmed color changing card trick mm-hmm. and stuck it online classic went to bed, uh, went to bed woke up in the morning it was a quarter of a million views and it had been you know gone viral overnight mainly in uh, in America. And so <laughs> I sort of ran around trying to produce some more videos and produced a couple more uh, ones in my uh, apartment in, uh, in London. And then it's it's just grown from there. You know, we, we produce these illusions and bets videos. Uh, a lot of them so old they're new, you know, some of the bets are Victorian and, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, so sort of people today don't know of them. And it's very homegrown, it is just filmed in my living room. Uh, It's filmed on four by three on normal definition. It's not on HD. And thank goodness uh, people seem to like it. They like that homeliness and it's kind of evergreen content. You know, it's 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 not blogging about the news or whatever. So, you know, they sit there and people seem to enjoy them. And now, you know, when I teach psychology, you know, there are people in the class who've been brought up on Quirkology since you know, mm-hmm. the last sort of 10 years. Mm-hmm. And Amazing. that's what got them interested in psychology. And that's a lovely thing when, when the student comes up and says, you know, I'm, I'm here because I saw one of your videos when I was, you know, 15 or something. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's been lots of fun.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, that's great. I mean, one of our favorites… Uh Oh, what we like to do here is you know we're having meetings with the uh, with the, the crew here, and uh, one of us will step out and be like, hold on, I just uh, I just have to do something quick, and then we'll come back with a different color shirt, you know, three or, <laughs> three or four times just to see if people are awake, you know, and paying attention. And sometimes so, we'll get they'll get looks we'll get looks of like, did he just change his shirt, or am I going <laughs> crazy? You know, it's, it's just uh, it's great to uh, to have fun while while you're messing with people's minds.
2: Yeah, uh, and then that piece actually color changing card trick then then. Uh, inspired Penn and Teller to do a, a live piece in their Vegas show. I won't, won't spoil what it is, but so you know, every night there is a version of that on on stage in uh, in Vegas. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's been a calling card to uh, to lots of amazing projects, and it just came about because. You know, I, I just had that idea in my head, and you can tell the way it's filmed. I mean, we we, we didn't even clean up the lab. It, if you look at the wide shot on that, there's stuff everywhere, there's cables everywhere, and the material's not ironed, and you know, we just lobbed it together. But I, I think people like that feeling of, you know, it's, it's not like television. Television is very glossy, and, 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 and YouTube, I think, is at its best when you just feel like you're hanging out with someone and they're just saying, yeah, hey, come exactly. look at this interesting thing. It's more genuine. Yeah,
1: it, just, yeah, it feels more real, exactly, yep. Yeah, so, I think yeah, yeah. so what's been the most challenging uh, psychological concept to demonstrate or to or to teach?
2: Um, yeah, that, I guess most of the psychology is kind of challenging in its way. You have to get it into people's lives. Uh, in terms, I was trying to think of the most challenging quackology video. We made one called the ball, which is where a ball appears underneath a cloth, and mm-hmm. I can remember saying to the team. Hey, look! This will take thirty minutes, <laughs> and I remember us being there five hours later. With me going, come on, just one more take. I think we'll get it. Yeah, uh, because it, 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 I hadn't realised was how tight the angles were on it. So, um, you know, you talk about millimeters, you know, and it was very tricksy to film. And I, I love it because of that. But you know, it, it, that 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 kind of thing is means you can show all the outtakes. Um, but we are. and again actually it's funny because we've filmed them for television many times and television folks are used to you know, get, getting the shot within about sort of five or six minutes. And because and we are used to doing the thing again and again and again for as long as it takes until you get that one perfect shot because there's so much uncertainty in most of the shots. So it's always quite fun to go, no, 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 we'll be here just repeating this action again and again for the next three hours until you get it. Uh, so, yeah, it's big differences between television folks and, and YouTube folks, I think.
0: I love the, uh, the amazing ball and glass uh, and assumptions oh, yeah. some of my favorites.
2: Assumptions actually you know that that uh, was two takes. I, we we only did it twice, and it was amazing, because I, I was thinking that was going to take hours, and I think what you're looking at there is the second take, which absolutely nailed assumptions. Totally, uh, which was was great, and it's it's used everywhere. Assumptions, I've have seen it opening conferences and all sorts of things, and uh, uh, used on on lots of adverts actually. Exactly the same idea. Uh, they, they they copied the beats on it on various adverts, mm-hmm. and ball and glass. Uh, yeah, that's that's the one where the ball is on the outside, of the great. glass is which is quite an unusual idea and yeah again sort tr- of trying to find a way of making that work was the the hard bit um the the props for that are uh, terrible but uh, to make and also, it works you know, it's incredibly yeah, effective it, it does work. um but yeah that took uh, quite a while as well so yeah they're all like old friends you know you spend so long with them thinking about them and trying them out and um and you immortalize them forever
0: people. now on youtube
2: yeah which is nice <laughs> yeah you know and you don't do anything. You just sit back. You upload it and you know you get these lovely emails from people who – teachers use them. Some teachers use them sort of mm-hmm. every morning to wake the kids up and stuff. So <laughs> it's fun.
0: It's fun. So I'm a, I'm a huge Darren Brown fan and I, I know you guys are friends and colleagues. I think you're, you're an advisor to him as well.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I know Darren that's probably more as a friend than an advisor, but yes, I have done some advising. So
0: uh, first off,
2: uh, did you see his new Netflix special, Sacrifice? What I think? have yet to see it. Oh, I've really? yet to see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've heard some really good things about it.
0: So can uh, can you talk a little bit about your working relationship with him and, and what you, what do you think makes his work so deceptive,
2: powerful and astonishing? I think probably Darren is what makes his work so yeah. amazing. He, he is a phenomenal performer. And, and what you're seeing on television is only I a actually,
0: fraction. Uh, I actually flew to London. My wife uh, and I took a trip there for my uh, 40th birthday a few years ago just to see him. Um, sure. Because at the time, he was relatively unknown in the States. Uh, since then, he's actually done a show on, uh, on Broadway, which we've seen as well. But I'm, I'm a huge fan of his going back uh, at least 10 years. So, yeah. yeah, no, he's
2: great. He's, he's, he's a phenomenal live performer. Uh, he's he very, me. very gifted. uh so yes we go back a long way so for his very very first special and i don't want to think about how long ago that was um he came to the university he was doing an item on twins and uh, it's filmed with me in my lab and i think at the time and is that on
0: trick or treat
2: no it's before that it's it's uh, i had um, i think it's called mind control
0: mind control i remember that as well yes
2: yeah, I think it's the first. I don't know if they had more than one, but it's the very first one. And I think the sort of feeling was that he'd put out this hour long special, and that would be that, you know, and magic at the time, and certainly mind magic as it were, it wasn't big in Britain. And they put this thing out. Huge response, everyone loved it, and so they started to make more of them, quite rightly. And they're phenomenal. I mean, some of the the thinking behind those shows magically is really, really clever. And so, they did one on luck, uh, mm-hmm. and that was based on the luck factor work yep. in part. Uh, they did one on testing psychic powers. I was involved with, I can't, remember, I think I'm on camera on that one, talking about, um. Uh, cold reading as uh, how psychics pick up information from people and a little bit to do with some of the live shows but not very much so it's it's been, mostly been the, the television work um but yeah no it's great it's very innovative it's very fresh and yeah as i say at the heart of it i think is the fact that that darren is this sort of wonderful kind of verbal performer is great to
0: you mentioned uh, and, uh, psychics, and it's it's an interesting theme, and, and so many magicians from Houdini to Darren Brown to you have uh, devoting time and energy to debunking psychics and exposing mystics, educating people on the power of belief. Can you speak a little bit about why, generation after generation, we're still so
2: gullible to fall for these charlatans? I think because we want to. I think it's very human. I, you know, we all have issues in in our lives, and if someone comes along and says, hey, magically, you know, I can solve that problem, you know, if you've lost a loved one, well, I can still put you in touch with them, or if you're ill, I can solve that, or if you're worried about your future, I can tell you what the future holds for you. I think it's very, very attractive psychologically. It's very seductive. That's and, right. And, and also, you know, it's, it's not just a claim. Often there is evidence to go with that. And a bit like a good magician, you know, they, they can fool you in, in, in various ways. And so there's always been this kind of sceptical movement. Uh, I mentioned Jastrow before. He's uh, one of the uh, early sceptics in the American movement. Uh, you have James Randi, of course, mm-hmm. very important yeah. uh, over there. And and I've been part of that. Houdini has been part of it um and darren has as well over in, in this country so there's always been this 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 small movement small but vocal movement and i just think people you know I, i'm not saying these things don't exist although personally i don't think they do but but you know it's up to that's personal belief all i'm saying is you know in the same way as you wouldn't go and buy a used car without hopefully somebody that knew about cars don't go along to a psychic unless you know something about some of the tricks of the trade cool and reading so that, and so forth yeah, that, that, that's right. Um, but, yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I don't do as much of it now as I used to. I've, I've tested loads of those psychics and been to lots of seances uh, in my time. Um, but after a while, it, it kind of gets a little bit repetitive, and, and so I've kind of cut back a bit. Although we still do the fake seances. So Andy mm-hmm. Nyman, who's a magician and sure. actor, uh, and also the sort of co-creator of uh, a lot of
0: Darren Brown's work. Yeah, I'm a big fan uh, of Andy Nyman's as well.
2: So a- Andy and I met, even before Darren actually a long time ago and we started doing fake seances and uh, in I think he was tour. actually
0: going to be on the show first right and then
2: and then he didn't take it and Darren did that's correct I, I think Andrew O'Connor who um, uh, created the show originally offered it to Andy and he was sort of you know wanting to pursue an acting career and, and so uh, I think then Darren was doing magic in Bristol in the UK and I think maybe Andy had seen him I don't know and, and suggested Darren um, it all but worked out perfectly It all worked for out both. very, very well, very well. <laughs> so yeah. Andy and I did these seances very early on, sort of fake seances, and then I've taken some of those ideas and uh, turned them into experiments. And um, most recently, actually, we did it at Magic Live in Vegas. So we had 500 magicians watching us. We took 10 of them to a dark room, and we had luminous objects move around, and then we took an infrared feed to the remaining 490 so the 490 could see how all the tricks were done and the 10 in the room couldn't so that was a kind of fun way of of making the seance play big as it were
1: Hmm. i I wish we had done this podcast on monday because um here in the united states has been mega million and uh and uh powerball and it's the biggest winnings for the lottery so far and i would have asked you yeah two billion dollars i would have asked you for the winning for the winning numbers actually
2: (laughs) Well, um, yeah, and I would have given them to you. It's, it's yeah, exactly. we got the timing wrong on that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, wow, someone's either got lucky or unlucky, depending yep. Someone on in South Carolina.
1: And how that works yeah.
2: out for them. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Yep.
1: Um, so do you ever get fooled?
2: Or... Oh, all the time, all the time,
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: yeah I mean that's the joy of magic it would be a horrible place if I didn't so you know I, I want to get fooled I spent the last weekend at the magic circle wanting badly to get fooled because that's the joy of it you look at something and go yeah I don't know no idea how that's done um, and, and magic changes it's, it evolves and sometimes it uses bits of technology you don't know about or sleight of hand that someone's invented um, so yeah it's great it's the best feeling in the world it also it keeps you humble I think
1: Right. Are there any, any um, up-and-coming magicians you know about? or, or, or... Um, That's a good question, actually. I suppose um,
2: it's, it's interesting because the level I'm sort of involved at in magic, I don't have actually much to do with younger magicians. So because I consult for magicians, they tend to be actually the more senior um, ones. So I haven't seen really young guy i mean there's a thing called cardistry which is uh, sort of almost juggling with cards and some of that stuff is uh, is incredible but again a lot of it is done for camera you know because a lot of magicians now they're not performing live they're performing on facebook or on right. youtube and so you there's get a lot diff- of that going on yeah you get a get lot different- of uh, exposing too and that's a problem yes. that's a problem so, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that because often it, it only works from one angle uh, in, a, in a certain way. And it doesn't feel quite to me like the, the sort of celebration that, uh, that it should be as a performing art. And as you say, there's, there's definitely an issue with uh, exposure. But, you know, every, every, every generation of magicians have uh, faced that and somehow found a way through. So I'm, I'm fairly optimistic.
0: I want to just uh, go back to one of, your, one of your books that I loved, uh, Night School. Wake up to the power of sleep, especially as I've had issues with insomnia most of my adult life. Can you talk a little bit about why we dream?
2: Yes, yeah, so that book uh, was it's an odd book actually because I was looking around self-development sections in various bookstores, and it just occurred to me at that point when we were writing that was quite a few years ago now, um, no one was doing stuff on sleep. You know, there's all this stuff on daytime activity in terms of happiness and productivity and relationships, but no one was doing it on sleep. So I looked into the sleep literature and ran some experiments, and that was night school, and I still go out and do training and and talks on it. It's one of my favorite topics, and because of that, I started to look at dreaming, and, you know… It's really interesting how these things shift. When I wrote that book, everyone was really dismissive about dreaming in terms of the psychology of it. I mean, I'm talking among, amongst academics. It was just kind of you know the froth on the beer of sleep, as uh, somebody phrased it. it, didn't do anything at all. It was just this this rather weird process that happened to happen. And I looked at the literature, I argued very strongly that actually what's happening is that the brain is, kind of replaying episodes that make us feel concerned and worried and it's doing that for two reasons. One is to knock the emotional edges off them because if we experience something again and again it becomes actually less scary rather than more scary. And second is looking for solutions to some of those problems. And so I argued that in the book and then not so much because of that book but since the movement in the uh, kind of dream uh, literature and so on that's now become the dominant model and so yeah pretty much that's that's what's happening when we, we are dreaming your your brain is like a, a good therapist it's, it's trying to help you over difficulties and worries and concerns you have in your life
1: so besides uh, let's say a bottle of scotch what are uh, <laughs> what are some of the tips you have for a good night's sleep uh, well,
2: not a bottle of scotch. So uh, the, the problem with um, it's very pernicious alcohol because it gets you to sleep quicker, but it really disrupts deep sleep and particularly dreaming. So you wake up in the morning feel uh, quite exhausted even though you've slept quite well. Mm. So uh, instead, any kind of technique which pushes worries and concerns out of your head. So you know, counting backwards in threes from a hundred is a good one. Uh, avoiding tablets and uh, I mean, sleeping tablets, uh, iPhones and uh, other tablets because they've got very brightly lit screens uh, that give out light towards the blue end of the spectrum, which really disrupts sleep and uh, dreaming. So not using those, I mean, it's crazy in the UK at the moment, people have these brightly lit bathrooms with low energy lights, which do the same thing as um, screens on iPhones and so on. Mm -hmm. So the last thing they're doing before they go to bed is flooding themselves with this this light. So keeping light levels as low as possible is good. And if you wake up during the night, which is very common, and you're laying in bed for more than 10 minutes, get out of bed and do something like a jigsaw or one of these coloring in books or something Mm. in low light. Because otherwise you start to uh, associate the bed with anxiety and, mm-hmm. and so often people just lay there for hours getting more and more anxious when actually getting out 10-12 minutes doing a jigsaw or something sort of um, very non-stimulating, getting back into bed. Uh, you can sort that out really quite quickly.
0: Those are some great, that's just some great advice. So uh, what are some uh, unexplored areas that you're currently focusing your research and energies on?
2: Well, it's interesting you say that. I sat down after Apollo, uh, after the Apollo book, mm-hmm. and sort of thought, where, where do I want to go? Because I, I, I did luck, I did sleep, I've done the paranormal, I've done quirkology. Uh, Apollo is about success. And I actually decided that my real passion uh, at the moment sat for magic. And so I have just signed a big book deal. Uh, for a magic book
0: congratulations uh,
2: so yep that's um i don't think i can actually say any more about it cuz i think that deal hasn't been announced yet but it will be coming out i guess well towards the end of next year possibly it might go over into 2020 um but that is a big book with a very well known uh, magician and so i am super excited about it so i'm going to be awesome. re- Returning to my eight-year-old self again to uh, to, to write that.
0: Oh, I can't wait to read it.
2: Oh cool, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, it's, uh, and what's great is that you then get to, to read all this esoteric. It's kind of magic literature. Is it, can it you work. say if it's, is
0: it is it a book on, on magic history, magic uh, a theory, a psychology? Uh, it's
2: it's that end of things. Yeah, I can't say too much about Fair it, enough. but it's all it's, it's it's that end of things. It's it's not really a book of tricks. It's gotcha. it's it's uh, hopefully a little bit more educated look at uh, look at magic. But um, yeah, it took a took a long time to get everything in, in place, but uh, contracts have just been signed. So yeah, um, yeah I'm excited.
1: Great, sounds like fun. So, where can people find you online? Um, you know, connect uh, with you?
2: Yep, yeah, I'm online, richardwiseman.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Richard Wiseman. And I'm on Facebook, apparently, somewhere. <laughs> but it's mainly on, on Twitter and online. So, my stuff is there, obviously, on the Corecology channel. And, of course, the channel. YouTube
0: channel, Corecology.
2: Yeah. So, it's all out there. And, yeah, it's always fun when people feedback. So there's a little form they can fill in on the, the website and I get to see those emails. So, um, yeah, it's been fun. And uh, I hope uh, people enjoy the sort of silliness that I do for a living.
0: Well, we definitely do. Uh, thank you so much, Richard. It's been a real honor to have you today.
1: Um, and uh, we greatly appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks so much. And an uh, absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks
1: very much. And that wraps up another episode of The Perception Podcast. As always... Send any questions and comments to ask at experienceperception.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Sign up for our weekly newsletter on our site, experienceperception.com slash contact.
0: Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and write a nice review. See you on the next episode.